you know what? It makes organizations fun places to be. If you're really making the most of diversity and if you're really creating a culture where everybody's thoughts, views, ways of thinking are included and that's made the most of, it will make your organisations much more fun places to be. This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books and brands, because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. Shrabani Sen has had an impressive leadership career in the not-for-profit sector, she has been the CEO of three organisations, Alcohol Concern, Contact a Family and the British Association for Adoption and Fostering. She has more than 25 years board experiences, currently chair of two not-for-profits, including the campaigning organisation 38 Degrees. Shrabanis joined my Pioneer programme in 2019 to launch Full Colour, which helps leaders learn how to lead inclusively, drive inclusion in their organisations and create the conditions for diversity to thrive. Now, this topic can become waylaid with corporate speak and is a very sensitive topic. So I want to make sure that we cut through all of that and had a very frank and straightforward conversation. So what you're going to hear is why diversity matters in business terms. What gets in the way? Do we need it even? And how you go about solving diversity and inclusion problems in a way that actually makes a difference and changes the organization for good. Shrabani also describes how she managed to get her first customers and how she succeeded in differentiating herself in a crowded market using all the things that we worked together on in the Pioneer program. Now, aside from all this, Shrabani is an actor and a playwright, and she's had her plays performed in some prestigious London theatres. Finally, I just had to ask what it was like meeting the Queen in order to receive her OBE. Wow. Hello. Hello. Hello, Shravani. I'm really glad you could join us on the Ideas Lab podcast. We've had a few glitches getting started, but I'm I'm glad it seems to be working now. Thanks very much. Yeah. So um, you you are the founder of Full Colour, And how would you describe Full Colour for yourself? So Full Colour is an organisation which takes a different approach to helping organisations get better at diversity inclusion. So um, loads of people use the words diversity and the words inclusion without really understanding what they mean and how it can help their organisations get more successful. So what I do is I work um, at a leadership level and I only work at a leadership level. So that's senior leadership team, CEO level largely, to really work with leaders to help them work out in a really practical way what inclusion is, how it can add value to their business or their organization, how it can make them more successful, and then work out how to implement inclusion so that you can really create conditions for diversity to thrive in your organization so you can make the best of it. So that's in a nutshell what I do. So if this is, um, if what's the problem you're trying to solve? Because what's going on at the moment that you felt a need, and obviously you're, you're, uh, 
your clients see the need for to do something about? So I think that there's kind of two bits of the answer to what's the problem uh, I'm trying to solve uh, through the offer. I think part of the problem is there are a lot of organisations out there who, from the point of view of wanting to be ethical and wanting to get it right, want to get better at um, generating more diverse staff, getting out to more diverse customers um, and so on, but don't, in a practical way, know how to do it. Um, And the other side of it is that there's a lot lot more pressure at the moment on companies to demonstrate that they are working in a way which is really inclusive and that brings diversity into their organisation. So part of the problem I'm solving is how do you do it and how do you do it in a way which is practical, which feels safe, isn't preachy, um, it feels kind of doable, feels achievable. Um, And the other part of the problem I'm trying to solve is, you know, we're working in a super competitive world. So whether you're a corporate entity or a public sector body or a charity and you're competing for funds, we're all competing with each other. And there is a ton load of evidence that organisations that get diversity and inclusion right are just more successful. If they're companies, they make more money and there is loads of evidence that they just make more money. They they outstrip their competitors. They're better at problem solving. They're better at achieving their goals. They have happier teams, more productive teams. I mean, every indicator you can think of, you get better at if you can get diversity and inclusion right. So ultimately, the problem I'm trying to solve is how do you get more successful as an organisation? Well, come to me and I'll tell you how. I like this. So you suggesting that the Mad Men environment that we saw in that TV series is not possibly the best environment for uh, for running, say, an ad agency, uh, them being all middle-aged men, <laughs> middle-aged white men. I absolutely am saying that. And it's not just me saying that. There's been research report after research report after research report. I mean, McKinsey in particular have proved, have, have produced loads of reports around just literally quantifying the difference uh, that better diversity and inclusion can um, have. So for me, this isn't just a do it because I say it because I'm trying to sell you a product. There is just so much independent evidence about that. And you know what? It makes organizations fun places to be. If you're really making the most of uh, diversity and if you're really um, creating a culture where everybody's thoughts, views, ways of thinking are included uh, and that's made the most of, it will make your organizations much more fun places to be. Yeah, and I think I think I heard the phrase from you that we all have conscious and unconscious biases, which I thought was a really good summary. And it's it, it, there's there's no way you can avoid that. I, and I guess conscious biases, you know, hopefully we have, you know, we we would pride ourselves and have relatively few, but that would be things like something that is a, but a, a, an explicit expectation that cer- someone of a certain gender or sexuality or race will will behave in a certain way or I guess is that what you you think of as a conscious bias and it also includes unfortunately straight up racism and sexism and so on I think that's spot on you've you've summarized it brilliantly and I think 
the thing about um, biases is the more you can make the biases that you're not aware of, uh, the more you can become aware of those biases, then you can actually do something about it. So if you know you've got a bias against people who bite their fingernails, but you're just not aware of it, but then you see those people and you think, oh, gosh, you know, you just viscerally react to those people differently than you would people who don't bite their fingernails, then the more you can become aware of it, the more you can then adopt behaviours which cancel out those biases you naturally have. So we all have them. I have them. I know I've been tested. Um, and um, but if you become aware of them, that's that's all that you need to do, because then you can work out practical ways to spot those biases when they're triggering in you and then work out actions to overcome them. So you genuinely hear and interact with a much more of a sense of um, openness than you would do if you were unaware of your biases. That's really interesting. And it sounds very much like the psychotherapy training I did where you know, the idea is as a as a it's a totally different uh, well, but it works the same way. If you're a therapist, you can't remove all your prejudices and biases and opinions about the world, but you can be aware of them. So if you know you have an issue of men or women or I don't know what, uh, angry people or sad people or whatever it might be, then you can you can see that happening in you and you can actually work with it rather than having it uh, take over you. And I was fascinated by, you know, because I sort of, I follow some people who are, um, you know, I'm kind of classic, maybe centre-left liberal, but I follow some people who are much more right-wing just for a bit of entertainment. They're often funnier, in my opinion. But <laughs> I don't mean they're really, you know, I'm not talking about anybody racist, but people who just have a very different political opinion. And uh, a lot of those people are very sceptical about this kind of work. But I think it's very difficult to to pretend that we don't have conscious and unconscious biases. And I remember that little report that said that, um, there's a word that appears in um, 360 reviews for women, like a corporate reviews, that doesn't appear in men. And that was the headline. It was quite a clickbaity headline. Went, what is the word? And it's abrasive. So women are described as abrasive and men are not. Well, what's going on there? Because we're seriously saying women are more abrasive than men. That's clearly not the case. If anything, it's probably the opposite way around. So it must be about the expectations we have of women. And so then what does that mean? But if a woman's a leader and she does something which is very forthright and maybe doesn't couch it in a lot of sort of, you know, softening language, she's going to be seen in a, she's going to be judged differently than a guy doing exactly the same thing. So, I mean, you know, you can't ignore these things. I think it's actually rather interesting. I think that's that's absolutely right. And I came to the point where I launched Full Colour, having had a very long uh, career, actually in the not-for-profit sector. And so a lot of my mates, uh, I I ended up successively as the CEO of three quite mainstream uh, charities. A lot of my mates are chief exec of charities. And there is absolutely no doubt, even in a sector which thinks of itself as being very values-driven, very fair, very equality minded. There is still, even in that sector, a lot of um, uh, unconscious bias that women leaders have to deal with. And I was no exception to that. Um, And this, I think, is why it 
becomes about just raising awareness about your own biases. Because if you know that that's what's happening, then you can take action. And one of the things I'm a huge fan of is stuff which is very simple and very practical. And when I work with clients, I think sometimes when I first um, work with clients or have chats with prospective clients, they're, they're expecting some sort of divine inspiration and with some incredibly complex framework that I'm going to introduce to them to, to, to that's going to be taken ages to get their heads around and it's not it's actually the simple practical things that you can do on a day-to-day uh, basis as a leader because I say I work largely with leaders to help them get more inclusive in their practice um, and I think a lot of them are really astonished by how just by conscious effort in a regular way with some practical, simple things you can do really makes a huge difference. And they say it and they see it all the time. And that's with people I coach because I also coach uh, CEOs and senior leaders as well. It's something that really comes across again and again is people are, are kind of gobsmacked by how simple it is. It can be. And I think part of the challenge with diversity and inclusion as a topic is it can turn people off and for me I think there are two reasons for it one is sometimes people who for absolutely the right reasons and and reasons which I absolutely resonate with and agree with can come across as quite preachy about issues around diversity and inclusion and finger waggy and you know you really need to get it right you terrible white people um there's been some horror stories haven't there of of, uh, early on People going into organisations for supposedly diversity training, and um, and then just telling all the white people that they're they're flat out racist. And you know, it's one thing if that actually worked and got you some kind of result, but it doesn't even help. So it, it, everybody ends up feeling worse. Maybe some people who have experienced racism feel validated, but generally it doesn't help the team to gel, does it? I think that's absolutely spot on. And in the um, not-for-profit sector, which was my my kind of where I grew from, there is um, an approach to working with kind of quite vulnerable people. So whether that be people who are trying to overcome addiction, people who are trying to overcome poverty, um, people who are living with disability, and so basically in 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 have have aspects of the life, their life which are quite challenging and that approach is called a, is, it's called sometimes it's called a strengths-based approach sometimes it's called an asset-based approach depending on what lingo you use and the idea of those strength-based asset-based approaches is what you do is you start with where that person is recognize actually what they're good at and what they're bringing to a situation and then build on that to get them out of poverty, over their addiction, whatever it is. Um, and that's very much an approach which I've adopted as part of Full Colour. So when I work with clients, what I do is I start with just understanding from them where they are. Um, my very first client um, was the London Transport Museum, and I'm still working with them now. And um, the first thing I did with them is say, well, what, okay, tell me where you are now. And actually, they had done huge amounts of work to try and get better at, at, at becoming more diverse, being more inclusive. And the reason they brought me in is because what, what they had been trying wasn't working to date. And so they really needed a new approach. Now, if I was to go in there, guns are blazing and saying, oh, my God, why haven't you done this? And why haven't you done that? It's, oh. 
then quite frankly, it would have turned everybody off. Um, it wouldn't have helped them. I mean, my, 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 my mission is just kind of walk alongside and help people who really want to get it right. Um, and so there's something about really respecting where people are at. And the whole um, point about diversity is everybody should feel like they're part of an organization. And if you are um, embracing uh, disabled people or women or people of colour or LGBT people at the expense of another group, that is not inclusion. The point is that it's about equalising the way people can um, take part in an organisation, be valued in an organisation, contribute to an organisation uh, and reducing the barriers for those people um, who might experience more barriers than if you were a white man. It's not about putting barriers on white men. It's about getting rid of the, the barriers that are that are getting in the way of of, of uh, women of colour or people who are gay or people who have a disability. It's getting rid of those barriers. No, that makes sense to me. And when we're on the, you know, you're a participant in my Pioneer programme and one of the principles of it is to differentiate you and create something that in, in some ways is unique. And I think that's what you've done in, in actually a pretty crowded space um, of, um of diversity and inclusion. And I think this, this angle of, of kind of no blame is a very good one to lead with. Um, what do you think you got, what did you get out of the pioneer program that helped you in particular around that? I think the pioneer program was fundamental to how I developed and shaped full color. And it was fundamental in a number of different ways. Um, one of the things I think you really helped me to think through was that question that you posed at the very end, what is the problem I'm trying to fix? And actually your approach to the Pioneer Programme really helped me refine it from something that was like somewhere out here, really broad, into something that was really, really specific and really clearly articulated. I think the other thing which you really helped me do, you referred to it a minute ago, which was that um, the diversity and inclusion space is quite crowded. And what I did was partly through talking to people who I thought might end up being my prospective customers, the sort of people who might buy. And also by doing some desk research about what was out there, it made me realise two things. It made me realise that there is a lot of people out there. There's quite a lot of activity going on in the gender space, uh, gender equality space. And um, having been a female CEO, I could have thought, well, I can add to the gender equality space. But there's some quite good stuff going on in the gender equality space. But what I found through my research and from talking with people who might be my, might be my prospective clients is nobody really understood how to deal with the issue of race in a way that felt comfortable. People feel people feel much more comfortable now talking about gender equality. Racial equality still feels quite squirmy. It creates emotional uh, angst talking about it. And also what I found is that um, a lot of the solutions that were out there around racial diversity were the solutions that were being touted when I started work more than 30 years ago. Right. And for me, there was a clue in that. Yeah. Clearly they weren't. <laughs> they weren't working. 
Um, and I remember that the standard uh, solution around racial diversity is if you can recruit people at the bottom of the pipeline, what will happen is they will gradually rise to the top. Well, when I look around me, uh, when I was in my kind of mainstream CEO roles, um, I was very rarely the only woman in a room. And I'd be in rooms with prime ministers and government ministers and major, major corporate players, depending on the, the particular role I was in. I was rarely the only woman in the room. I was almost always the only person of colour in a room. So this kind of it will trickle up thinking, I'm sorry, just has not worked. Um, and what I realised, and I think your pioneer programme helped me really frame this, I and actually, this won me. This has won me a few clients. When I go and talk to prospective clients, I'm really upfront and say, I am not your traditional diversity and inclusion person. That ain't me. And if that's what you're looking for, I'm not your person. What I am is a leadership expert. And I look at how, as a leader, you can be more successful in running your organizations through the lens of how you can become more inclusive and how you can generate more diversity and help that diversity to thrive. And that is not what anyone else is saying. Everyone comes at the, oh, let me, let me help you get your recruitment pipeline sorted. Mm. You go, good luck to you if you're that kind of diversity consultancy. It's not what I do. And I think your Pioneer program really helped me understand what was different about my offer and where I could add value, because it's all about adding value. If you're not adding value, it's not about, I, I recently did one of your five-day challenges as well. Mm. I was very noticing, maybe because I've been through your Pioneer program, that people, what people were talking about is, this is what I want to do. What your Pioneer program really helps people think is, what do people need and how do you create an offer which meets that need? And that was at the heart of, I think, what your Pioneer program does brilliantly. Mm. No, it's great. It's great to hear. And and you've now you're now developing a new idea, um, particularly during lockdown, that might be useful. Um, would you just like to describe what that is? Yeah. So the offer that is currently out there and that people are, are buying, if I can put it that way, using that dirty word sale, <laughs> um, is really about an offer about working with existing leaders, usually at CEO level or senior leadership team level, about how they work on themselves um, to become more inclusive and how they drive inclusion through their organisations to open up diversity. The new offer I'm developing is for people of colour, um, particularly women of colour, but people of colour who are probably at that middle management level, but they're hitting a concrete ceiling in terms of developing their own career and can't get through that concrete ceiling. So as somebody who did get through that concrete ceiling and was working at very, very senior level, it's a program uh, which is aimed at really giving them the tools to drive their career forward if they want to, particularly if they want to reach the C-suite, but just even if they just wanted to get to more senior um, levels within their organisations or other organisations that they might work with. So that's what I'm working on now. Great. And, you know, one of the principles of the Pioneer Program is that, you, is that you, you talk to your target market as much as you possibly can. So if anybody's in that category and is in middle management, uh, women particularly of colour, who feel like they're not progressing, but they want to shoot for the C-suite, then perhaps they can get in touch with you on LinkedIn or, or at uh, Full Colour, uh, the website, 
and um, and you can just have a chat so that you can start to form this idea, which is, uh, I think, always a good strategy. I would love to. So if there's anyone out there, you, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm sure you'll be able to see the spelling of my name when, when this podcast goes out. Um, and um, you can also get in touch with me via the contact um, details at my Full Colour website, which is www.fullclr.com. Reach out. I would love to speak to you because I think there's something about the more I can understand about what the specific challenges are that people are facing either within their organisations or indeed within themselves, which is blocking them mm-hmm. from uh, getting up that career ladder, if that's what you want to do, then I'd love to talk to you. So please do please do reach out and uh, I'll happily organise a time to have a chat. Great. And uh, you have a lot of else going on in life, don't you? I remember when you were trying to first launch Full Colour. Um, you were also writing a play and starring in the play. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, I actually have four chunks of my life. So I uh, have full colour, which is a growing chunk of my life. I also do mainstream consultancy around leadership development and uh, strategy. I coach um, CEOs and senior leaders. I also chair two boards. So I chair the board of a campaigning organisation called 38 Degrees that some people might have heard of. And I also chair a, a, a locally based um, children and young people's charity that work with some quite vulnerable, disadvantaged um, children and young people. And I'm also a practicing, active, uh, maybe not at the moment during lockdown, um, actress and playwright. Although I say that, I have a rehearsal later tonight for an online production of Midsummer Night's Dream. Really? Um, <laughs> and I'll be playing a man. Um, so I'll, I'll be playing Oberon. So I will definitely be um, uh, um, countering those uh, gender stereotypes there. Um, so, yeah, and a, a play that I um, recently wrote was performed at the Arcola, which is a, a major theatre here down in London. Um, so, yeah, I very actively pursue and have really built a career. Uh, and it was very busy until lockdown um, of acting and writing. So it's mm. it's great. And I, 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 I first found you through your scanners night oh yeah right the Um, event i used to run in london some years ago yeah and i I think i am the classic example of one of your scanners Uh, i don't know if you want to explain Mm. to people who may not have come across that yeah a scanner that's the term from barbara sher but it's somebody who's um got lots of ideas lots of interests loves to learn uh gets bored easily good at starting things not so good at finishing things and uh, so, yeah, you have these often the scanner, and I'm one too, has these very seemingly completely unrelated activities like being a playwright and, and being an actor and and running all these uh, organizations and so on. So, um, uh, yeah, it's amazing. And so have you always been doing writing and acting or is that a recent addition? That's relatively recent. So when I was still in my kind of mainstream charity CEO roles, um, so I, I had I actually started my career. I don't think you know this, John, as an opera singer. No. Uh, that was my very first career. And I didn't fully make it in the sense that I was still having to live at home. I was getting work, but I was still having to live at home, couldn't afford to support myself, was relying on my parents financially. And I got to my late 20s and thought, this is ludicrous. I can't keep living off my parents. This is awful. Um, so I then entered a career which led me to my uh, various CEO roles. 
And then I, for a period after my mum died, I had to be a carer for my dad whilst holding down a CEO role. So, of course, I could, could do nothing but earn money, pay for some of his paid carers, look after my dad and be a CEO. And so I thought uh, when the inevitable happened, uh, I thought, you know, I want to get back to performing. Uh, what do I do? So I found a course um, around acting. Uh, retrained as an actor, started doing bits of fringe theatre while I was still in my CEO roles. I was taking annual leave to to do productions and plays. And then about six years ago, I thought, no, do you know what? You only get one life. I really want to do the, uh, really want to pursue the acting, which is when I sent up my consultancy. Um, but what I found as an actor, because I'm in my 50s, is that a lot of the parts I got offered were very badly stereotypical older Asian women. <laughs> who were either harridans or put upon and under the thumb of some some bloke. Mm. And I was thinking, well, this is not my, this wasn't even my mother's experience of being an Asian woman, let alone me. Um, so I managed to win a place on a, a, a development program for uh, playwrights uh, who, of a BAME heritage uh, and then didn't stop. <laughs> I love it. I remember when you said, like, oh, yeah, you know, I've been commissioned by the Arcola Theatre. I was going to be, and I thought, oh, you don't, you don't mess about. You really don't, whatever you're doing. And um, we have to just ask uh, before we finish, how did you get your OBE? I remember I, I saw it on the bottom of one of your emails and I went, wait a minute, you got an OBE? You didn't even mention that. And you went, oh, yeah, yeah. How did you end up uh, uh, getting that? And does that involve going to the Buckingham Palace and meeting the Queen? It does. Um, so who nominated me? I have not to this day found out. I, I do not know. And I asked. Um, I asked all the people who were obvious to ask. And I, I, I don't know who, who nominated me. But yeah, so I got my OBE uh, for services to children and families in this country. So it was very much for the work I've done in my uh, my various kind of executive and board roles working. I've done quite a lot of work on child poverty, child disability, disadvantage that children and young people face. Uh, and yeah, uh, it was it was hilarious. So um, by then, sadly, both my parents had passed away. Um, and you get your invite um, to the palace and you don't know until you turn up on the day who is going to be awarding you your gong. Um, and I, I did get the queen. Mm. Um, which I was very lucky about. But it was it was hilarious because I went with my partner um, and my best friend. And my best friend is staunchly royalist, loves the royals. Um, you know, literally, you don't get her on the topic, otherwise she just won't stop. And my partner, who is a staunch Republican and hates the royal family, um, and uh, so when, when you arrive at the palace, they separate your your guests, the people who come with you, with the people who are getting the gongs. And I don't think my partner, Hugh, has ever forgiven me for having to live for an entire morning listening to my best friend, Jane, go on about how wonderful the royal family was in Buckingham Palace, being unable to say what he really thinks. So, <laughs> yes. so yeah, it's fun. Fun day. That's brilliant. I love it. Okay, well, it's been great. Uh, really interesting topic area for me one that i don't know very much about and and great to see what you've managed to achieve with it um if people want to find out more about you as we said we, they can find you uh, shrubbany sen on linkedin and uh, sen is your surname um and full color the website is full seal f-u-l-l-c-l-r.com that's absolutely right. www.fullclr.com. That's me. Great. Love it. Okay. Well, thanks very much. 
Thank you. And thanks for all your help and helping me get full colour off the ground. It's great stuff. You do a great programme. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes, along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast.